Well, I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you this morning, and uh, today we're continuing in our series entitled Heroes of the Bible. We began a couple of weeks ago uh, with a, some really important central ideas that we want to keep in mind with every hero we study, right? First, Bible heroes are just like us. They're not some super spiritual superheroes with super spiritual powers that no one else um, has access to. They're people of faith, people with the same faith in the living God that we have. And then the second idea is this. Bible heroes point us to Jesus. They point us to Jesus. They don't possess or control some supernatural gifts and powers themselves. They point us to the one who does the Lord Jesus Christ. They point to Jesus and say, he's the one who brought us the victory. It was faith in Jesus that brought about the victory. And they stand as witnesses to the faithfulness of Jesus and encourage us to be heroes in our day, heroes of faith. And then last week, we began with our first hero, began looking at Moses, what we called Moses, the unwilling hero. We looked at what we called part one or act one of Moses' life. That was the part that Moses wrote. It's the part that uh, uh, Moses wrote without God's help. And this goes up to about Moses' 80th birthday. We looked at his background. We saw that he was royalty, that he was well-educated, that he was, uh, had a powerful personality, he was a strong leader. And we saw that he had some understanding of the purposes of God in his life. Remember Acts, 20, uh, Acts 7, verse 25. After Moses killed the Egyptian, it says, Moses supposed that his uh, brothers would understand that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. We saw how Moses attempted to fulfill God's purposes in his own ability, in the flesh, in his own way, and it led to his downfall, having to flee the kingdom of Egypt, flee the powerful positions that he had there, and then flee to Midian and become a shepherd on the backside of the desert. So this is where we left off last week. Moses is broken. His life is shattered. All his advantages are useless. Everything he knew for 40 years is gone, and now he would have to start all over again with nothing. He would spend the next 40 years as a simple shepherd struggling to make uh, ends meet, struggling to make a living, tending sheep. Now that was act one. That was the part that Moses wrote. And then all week long we had an intermission. Probably the longest intermission you've ever had, right? And, uh, but this week we're now starting act two. This is the part that God wrote. This is God finishing the story. How many of you are glad that God will write act two in your life? If you've really messed something up, if you've done a poor job writing your own story, God is willing to write Act 2. All you need to do is give him the pen. That's the hard part, right? Some of us, we like to hold on to that pen. God, I'd like you to write this, but I'd like to keep holding the pen. Right? But when you give God the pen, when you say, okay, okay God, you can write my story the way you want to. Uh, I'm going to give up control of that, give up control of my life, let you be the Lord, let you be the master, then God can write an awesome part two, an awesome act two to your life. And so this is where we are in the story here. So would you bow with me in prayer as we are about to consider act two of Moses' life? God, thank you so much for your willingness to write our story, if we'll just let you, God. 
So God, help us this morning to learn something from Moses' life and how you wrote his story, God, so that we also can become heroes of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. So, okay, so this morning we're going to be focusing on mainly the book of Exodus chapters 3 and 4. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or your device, we'll just be camping out there for this whole message. And uh, Or if you want to, um, uh, you can look on our website and you can get the sermon notes on our website, and that's really kind of cool. If you make an account, you can actually take your own notes and then just have them there uh, permanently. So Exodus chapter 3 and 4, the story that God writes. And as we come to these chapters, God is about to act. Moses is 80 years old. He spent the first 40 years of his life as a prince in Egypt, and he spent the next 40 years of his life as a shepherd in the wilderness. He's written his story, and it's kind of clear at this point that Moses has no big plans for the rest of his life. He's not thinking about any big accomplishments. He's not thinking about world travel. He's not thinking about adventure, and and he's certainly not thinking about being a hero. It looks like he's thinking about watching sheep, tending sheep, and having a quiet, peaceful life. How many of you like just a quiet, peaceful life? How many of you have had times when you thought things were going to be quiet, peaceful, but God had other ideas? Well, God has other ideas for Moses, you know? And Moses is 80 years old, and you'd think he'd be ready for retirement, right? How many of you know that if you're an older saint, if you're an older servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is not done with you? Somebody say amen louder than that. God is not done with you. If the only thing that you have the physical ability to do is fold your hands and pray for this body of believers, God is not done with you. Amen. God wants to work through young people, through, through teenagers, through young adults, through middle-aged people, and through, through our senior saints as well. Amen. And so God's about to write Moses' story here. He's about to write his version of Moses' life and calling. So let's look at it. Starting in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Well, all right, so, so God here is getting Moses' attention. I mean, Moses, for his part, seems content with his situation. His 40, 40 years have passed. He's 80 years old by now. He, he's an old, washed-up shepherd. And, and God decides, well, all right, it's time for me to step into this situation It's time for Moses to really begin to understand my purposes for him and how they are really supposed to be accomplished. And he starts by getting Moses' attention with this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And uh, I I don't know if you've noticed, but God has a way of getting our attention. Right? Uh, You may feel like you're in the backside of the desert. Maybe we've been wandering the desert for some time. God knows where we are, and he knows how to get our attention. And so here he sends Moses a flaming bush that just doesn't burn up. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, there's something that you don't see every day. 
And it's really actually kind of odd. You put yourself there for a minute, if you can. I mean, there's no one around. You're all by yourself on the backside of this mountain. And this single bush is on fire. I mean, nothing else. There's no wildfire or anything like that. Just this one bush. And you can see it's on fire, but it's not being burned up. Now, now how many of you are the curious type? And if you saw something like that, you'd say to yourself, wow, that's really cool and different. I've got to go over here and see this and find out what, what's going on. You know, how many of you are kind of the curious type like that? All right? Yeah. Well, how many of you are the more cautious type? You'd be the type of like, okay, that's not normal. That's not natural. Don't know what's going on there. Could be dangerous. I'm going the other way. I'm out of here. How many of you are kind of that type? All right, a few of you. <laughs> well, Moses apparently was the curious type. And he goes over to see it. Verses 4 through 6, it says this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look. At God. Now catch that for a moment and hold on to it. Because that's going to be important a little bit later on in the message. He's afraid to look at God. He covered his face. He has some idea of the awesome and fearful holiness of God. And the inability of, of human flesh to be in his presence. God says, don't come any closer because Moses can't come any closer without being burned up by the holiness of God. And he realizes that he can't look at God's face or he'll die. So he covers his face. God is awesome. God is blazing in holiness. And I want you for a minute as we go on to, to kind of put yourself in Moses' shoes for a minute. Imagine you're there at the burning bush. And think like Moses, if you can, for a minute as God begins to speak. Verses 7 to 9. God says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Okay, well, all right. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that's good to know. That's good to hear. I mean, if it were me, I think I would have been wondering about that. You know, does God know what's going on in Egypt? I mean, does he even care? I mean, sometimes we have those questions, don't, don't we? God, do you know what's going on in my life? God, do you even care? Do you see it? Do you even care? God, do you know what's going on in the world? Do you see all of the injustice in the world, God? Do you, do you even care? Are you, even, are you ever going to do anything about it? But now God says, I see them. I hear them. I'm concerned about them. Well, that's good to know. I mean, if you were Moses, you've probably been wondering about that for the last 40 years as you tended sheep. That's good to know. God cares. Well, all right. Well, let's move on. Verse 8, he says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Well, that's even better. Not only does God see and hear, not only does God care, but he's going to do something about it. He's going to act. He's going to rescue them. That's great news. That's splendid. That's, that's awesome. Yay, God, right? Go, go, go ahead and have at it, God. Go ahead and, and rescue them. I'd love to hear the rest of the story and how it turns out. I think that's what I'd be thinking. 
Continuing on in verse 8, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, this story just keeps getting better and better all the time, doesn't it? I mean, God sees them, God hears them, God is concerned for them, God's going to free them from their bondage, and not only that, he's going to give them all prime real estate in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. Freedom and liberty and plenty of food for everyone, everywhere. And at this point, I think I would have been thinking, you know what? Maybe I will plan another road trip. You know what, God? After you've done all that and you've got them in the land of milk and honey, send me a postcard because I think I'd like to come see that. I think maybe get a timeshare or something. Come vacation there. I'm not saying Moses said that or thought that. I think that's how I would be thinking, right? I'd love to see the end result of that. And God continues. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And up to now, Moses has been listening quietly and reverently. God is talking and he's listening. And by the way, if ever God is speaking to you by his spirit, uh, uh, the thing to do is to be, what, listening, right? I mean, I actually had somebody tell me one time, um, almost flippantly, yeah, God called me to do this, but I didn't feel like that. I just went over here and did this. I was like, what are you talking about? God shows you something in his word, right, or something by his spirit. It's, yes, Lord, you're the Lord. Yes, Lord, have your way. Your will be done. Amen. And so up till now, Moses is listening quietly and reverently to God's plans. And verse 10, uh, God says something that changes everything. Let's look at it. Verse 10. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is renewing his call on Moses' life. He's renewing his purposes. He's saying, good news, Moses. You do have a call on your life. I'm not through with you. You are destined to free God's people. You had some things right. You did some things the wrong way. It's like God is saying, you know, you tried it your way. You tried it in the flesh. You tried it using your own position and powers and abilities. And uh, that all failed, right? But you had the right idea. You went about it the wrong way. And so God's saying, now let's do it my way. Let's do it the way that I speak, and then you do what I say, and then I bring the people out. This is good news. This looks like great news. But to Moses, it's not great news. As a matter of fact, it looks like as soon as God renews his call, it's as if God completely loses Moses' attention. I mean, the passage reads like, like God wants to continue just revealing the whole plan, just downloading the whole plan to Moses, while Moses continu- just continues to listen there quietly and reverently, and then says, here I am, Lord, send me. But instead, Moses keeps interrupting. How many of you have kids or grandkids, and maybe someone, or maybe someone who worked for you, and you're trying to share something good that you want to have happen, but they just keep interrupting you? With objections, right? A few of you, right, you know what that, that's like. And they get freaked out because they're afraid of something or something's going to go wrong. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. Moses keeps interrupting. Verse 11, he says, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of, Jesus, uh, out of Egypt? He's saying, I'm nobody. I, I, I'm just a shepherd. You know, maybe I once was somebody important, 
but not anymore. There's probably nobody who even remembers me there in Egypt. Who am I, God? I'm not the right person for this. Surely there's somebody else. And that's really the whole point here, isn't it? And Moses is missing it. God is saying, you tried it when you were somebody important and you failed miserably. You tried it when you thought you were the obvious candidate to be a hero and you found out that you weren't ready. You weren't right at that time. Uh, You were unsuitable in that condition. Now you're a nobody. Now you are the perfect candidate. You tried it your way, Moses. Now let's try it my way, God is saying. So God replies in verse 12. He says, I will be with you. It's like God is saying, you don't need to be important. You don't need to be a so-and-so. right? You don't need to have everybody know your name because I'm going with you. The most important and impressive being in existence is going with you. It really doesn't matter who you are if God is with you. I will be with you, he says. And then God continues with his plan. He says, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses interrupts again, verse 13. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Well, then what shall I tell them? You know, and, and I love this. He's saying, okay, God, suppose, I mean, just for argument." That I do go. All right? <laughs> Suppose, God, just for argument, I do go, like you say. And, uh, and they say to me, well, who sent you? What am I supposed to say as if God doesn't have an answer for this question, right? You ever ask God a question uh, thinking he doesn't have the answer to it? That God has the answer to all of our questions. And he's saying, you know, who am I supposed to say is sending me? He said, I tried this on my own. I tried this on my own authority. And they'll ask me, on whose authority are you saying this? So who am I supposed to say is sending me? And and at this point, he's saying, I tried this on my own. I tried this on my own authority. And and he's saying, they'll ask me, on whose authority are are you saying this? So what am I supposed to say? And at this point, God does something that is really cool. He reveals his name, his intimate, personal name for himself. Verse 14 says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Yeah. And he goes on. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Here, God reveals himself to Moses in a great way. The Hebrew word used here for I am is Yahweh. And it is simply the Hebrew verb to be. To be. And and this at once seems to say very little, and yet has the most profoundly deep meaning. As Christians, as servants of the Lord Jesus, and we talk about the great I am, Yahweh our God, our great God and Savior. You know, most most other names for God describe something about who he is. El Shaddai speaks about God's almighty power. El Elyon speaks of God's high position. Adonai emphasizes God's sovereignty. 
There are, these are concepts that we can kind of get our minds around. Right? We can get our minds around an all-powerful, high, and lifted up God. We can understand he has the power to do whatever he wants, including speaking the entire universe into existence. Right? It makes sense that the one true God is high and above every other power, that he's sovereign over all creation. But the name Yahweh, on the other hand, speaks not so much of his character and attributes, but just intrinsically of who he is. And and it's here that spiritual reality sometimes become difficult to grasp in in human thought and human words. So let me explain what I mean. If you showed up, imagine with me for a minute, you showed up at someone's office and asked to see, you know, the president of this company. And uh, he would likely ask, you know, you ask the secretary and he would likely ask, well, who is this? And you would respond by saying, well, I'm from ABC Company, and I sell such and such. You would define yourself by what you do. Or I'm from the IRS, and I want to see your books. Right? You define yourself by what you do. If you were to say to this guy, um, or just, just tell him I am who I am. What, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Just tell him I am who I am. He's not going to open his door. He's going to tell you to hit the bricks, buddy. Right? Because he wants to define you by who you are and by what you do. You say, I am who I am. The wonder of this name, Yahweh, that inspires us to worship so deeply, is not so much what it tells us about God, but what it does not tell us. Instead of revealing some aspect of his nature that we can better understand him, instead it shows us how much there is still we are incapable of understanding about him. How is it possible to understand someone who just is? I remember when my daughter Melody was just little, four or five years old. There were, must have been 20 times we had this conversation, usually while we were driving in the car and she's in the back seat. And it'll go something like this. He said, Dad? I said, yeah. She says, God, um, God goes on forever, right? And um, yeah, so he never ends. He just keeps going. I'm like, yeah. And, like, and so if we go to heaven, we go on forever too, right? I said, yeah, that's right. And then she'd say, but God doesn't have a beginning, right? And I'd say, well, yeah, that's right, Melody. And she'd say, yeah, that's the part I don't get. <laughs> and I would say, well, join the club, because I don't get that either. Theologians have been trying to really understand that, what that means to, to never ever have had a beginning, right? And no one can really, we, we don't have a reference point to understand not ever having a beginning. But our God, our Yahweh, the God who just is, never had a beginning and inspires us to reverent and awe-inspired worship as we consider how mysterious and transcendent and holy other our God is. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And this is how God answers Moses' objection. That's who's going with you, Moses. This is the God who's sending you. This is the God on whose authority you speak. And then God, in the next several verses, verses 16 to 21, he continues on, uh, on with more instructions, and he kind of lays out everything that's going to happen in, in a nice, neat outline. He's to go to the elders of Israel. God, he, God tells him what to say to them. He says that the elders will listen to him. He tells them what to say to the king of Egypt, and he tells them how Pharaoh will, will not listen 
at first, but God will compel him with a mighty hand and great signs and wonders so that ultimately, not only will he let them go, but the Egyptians will be so glad to see them go that they're going to give them gold and silver and weigh them down with all sorts of things. God essentially says they are going to plunder the Egyptians without even having to have a war first. This is awesome stuff. Here God lays out the whole plan. This is way better than anything that Moses could have come up with. I mean, let's contrast that for a minute. Remember last week, Moses thought that he, God was using him to rescue the Egyptians. He was going to free them from slavery. What if God had allowed Moses at that time to be successful and lead a revolt? What would that have looked like? If God, he had been able to use his position and intellect and influence to free his people. Well, the people would have been freed from slavery physically. Moses would get the glory. Everyone would be talking about how awesome Moses is. Moses may become proud, thinking that he had accomplishments. Who knows that, that, that Moses might even have started oppressing the Egyptians. I mean, he had already murdered one of them, right? I mean, it's not such a stretch to think he might have started oppressing Egyptians. Israel may have become a great nation in Egypt instead of in the promised land where they belonged. And they would have continued to worship foreign pagan gods. God would receive no glory, and the special covenant that he had in mind for them would not have been realized. But with God's plan, they're free physically, they're emancipated from Egypt entirely, they experience Almighty God doing awesome and amazing works on their behalf. And they enter into a covenant as a nation with the living God. They learn to worship him and they receive an abundant land as their own inheritance. God, God always has more in mind than we do. And God can always accomplish in the spirit more than we can accomplish in the flesh, in our own ability, in our own power. If we'll do things God's way. This is awesome stuff. God's plan is awesome. It's exciting. And at this point, I kind of expect to turn the page to chapter 4 and see Moses saying, Yes, God, yes, that's awesome. I understand the whole thing now. That's awesome. Let's go. When do we leave? And instead, that's not what happens. I mean, try to put yourself there. See this if you can through Moses' eyes, as if you're standing right next to him. The bush is still burning, but not being consumed. God's mighty voice is spoken. These awesome plans have been revealed. Moses is there, looking nervous, still covering his face, but scratching his, scratching his head, and finally says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, Yahweh did not send me? What? I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, did he, did he really just say that? After everything else that just happened, I mean, and it makes me ask, what is going on here? Why would he say that? I think this is the sting of failure rearing its ugly head. Moses is saying, you know what, God? This happened before. I thought you were using me to free the Israelites before, and, and look what happened. I thought that when I killed the Egyptian, the people would realize that, that you were using me to deliver them. But they didn't believe me. They didn't believe me then. Why would they believe me now? I failed before. There's no reason to believe that I won't fail again. What if they don't believe me or say God didn't send you? 
This is a voice that keeps on saying, what's the use? You know that you're just a failure. Don't try again. You'll just embarrass yourself. Other people can, but you can't. Just let someone else handle it. So Moses has to deal with his past in order to believe God for his future. You know, sometimes you have to deal with your past in order to believe God for your future. I believe someone needs to grab onto that right now. Just because you had a failure in your past does not mean you need to be a failure in the future. Just because you made a mistake and something went wrong and uh, something failed does not mean that your future is bound to that event. When you let God begin to write his plan and say, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be the type of person that you want me to be. I'm going to follow you and walk in the spirit. Then God has got success for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Moses has got to deal with his past. And God here is still patient with Moses. God is so amazingly patient. In the next several verses, God gives him three miraculous signs that he can perform for the people in case they don't believe. One is he would throw the wooden staff on the ground, and it would become a snake. And then when he picked it up again, it would become a staff again. The second one was he would be able to take this healthy hand, put it in his cloak pocket, and then when he brought it out again, it would be all leprous. People would get scared and run away. Ah, and then he would put it back in and say, oh, okay, no, it's good. It's, it's, it's good again. Right? And then the third one was that he could take a jar of clean water from the Nile River, and when he poured it out on dry ground, it would become uh, blood in, in front of them. And so God gives them these three signs, just in case. Even though he said they'll believe you, he gives them the three signs uh, anyway, just in case. And as I looked at this, I'm thinking, you know, this by this time has got to be frustrating for God. I mean, he's about to do signs and wonders in the heavens and in the earth, things that have not been ever been seen before. He's about to bring the most powerful ruler and kingdom in the world to its knees before him. He's, he's about to part the Red Sea. He's about to come down in a pillar of fire and a pillar of, of cloud. And he's, he's, he's about to create a nation. And Moses needs what amounts to parlor tricks by comparison. I mean, they were real miracles, but compared to all of that, they seem like politics, like, hey, hey, watch this, guys. See that? And everyone runs, ah! Oh, no, wait, watch. Hey, it's all good again, right? I mean, by comparison to what God is about to do, these are almost small little tricks, right? And, uh, we come to verse 10, and it says this, He's, Moses is still thinking of excuses, even though he has these tricks now. Moses just says, well, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Okay, now, there's so much here in this verse. I almost don't know where to begin unpacking it. But first he says, you know, I've never been eloquent. Well, we just read in, in chapter 7 of Acts last week, right, that he was powerful in speech and action. Moses here is rewriting uh, history for God. I've never been able to speak well. The Bible says he could speak well. But that's not even the point. It really doesn't matter whether Moses could speak well or not, or whether he used to be able to speak well, and then he lost some things over the last 40 years. That's really not the point. God didn't say, you know, Moses, I am so impressed with how you speak that I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and then he's going to let people go because you speak so well. 
right? God didn't say, you know, Pharaoh's going to be so impressed with you that he's going to let you all go. I mean, he's missing the point. He tried to rescue the Israelites in his own ability, in his own intelligence. This isn't about that. You know, God doesn't call you because he's impressed with you. Just a note to tuck away this morning. You know, it's not that God is so impressed with us that he calls us. It's not like he looks down and says, man, I'm just so impressed with this one here, with that one there, with that one there. You know, I just got to have one. You know, God calls the unqualified. God calls us because he can work through us. If he can take Moses after 40 years of just wandering the desert tending sheep and use him and say, okay, you're in a good place to be used now, then any one of us is qualified to serve somewhere in God's kingdom, to serve God and to serve the community. God doesn't call us because he's impressed with us, but because he can work through us. And I think this is a little insulting to God, and I think you can hear it in his response in verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses lacks confidence in his own abilities. There may be times when you lack confidence in your abilities, but God is calling you to do something anyway, and that's okay. And it's probably more than okay. It's probably good if you lack confidence and you're calling out to God saying, I know, God, you want to do this, but I don't know how to do it. God, I need you. I need your help. I need your spirit. I need you to move in this situation. Because God's saying it's not about special ability. It's about availability. Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to step out and trust God and follow God's purposes? Are you available? And that's the question that Moses is really facing. Are you available? And Moses probably should have stopped talking right here. I mean, the tone of God's response should have given him some pause. I mean, it really sounds like, okay, um, now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. It kind of sounds like God is saying, okay, listen, conversation is over. We're done talking. Just go. And Moses pauses, then opens his mouth and says, Oh God, please send someone else. Oh my goodness. I mean, at this point, I just can't, I can't believe that he just spoke again. Please just send somebody else. And it's at this point where I feel like I just want to really step aside because fire is going to come out of that burning bush. And just like consume him. Is everybody there? I'll just step aside for a minute, right? He just spoke again. No more excuses. No more pretenses. God answered every objection. And finally, he's just honest and says, uh, you know, I just don't want to go. Please send someone else. It looks like the pain and remembrance of the last time is still so fresh and still so raw that he just plain out flat ass God, send someone else to do it. Here he is in front of the God of the universe in front of this holy, awesome, fearsome God that he is so afraid of that he's hiding his face, realizing he will die if he looks up and looks at God. He's that afraid of this holy, blazing God, but he's afraid of something else even more. He's even more afraid of going back to Egypt. If you're going to do the will of God, then there are going to be times when you need to make sure that your fear of God is greater than your fear of of your circumstances. 
You know, sometimes we get in fearful circumstances. Sometimes we get in circumstances that uh, we're, we're not used to, you know, or we're fearful, or something fearful is coming, you know, in, into our lives. We need to make sure that our fear of God, our reverence for God, is greater than our fear of our circumstances. Fear God more than your circumstances. Moses said, Lord, please send someone else. Verses 14 to 16. And here, God got hot. Man, I don't ever want God to get hot at me. All right? But God got hot. Verses 14 to 16. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Boy, you never want to have that said about that's your testimony or my testimony. The Lord's anger burned. This is the God who describes, and this, listen to this, this is the God who describes himself this way. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. That's how God describes himself. Slow to anger, compassionate, gracious, abounding in love. Moses managed to get this slow to anger and gracious, compassionate God hot at him. You know, and I want you to see this. The Lord's anger burned against Moses, but he still sends him anyway. He sends his brother Aaron to help him, but he still says, take that staff and go to Egypt. You know what that tells me? Nobody can fulfill God's purposes for your life except you. There was nobody else God had in mind. Even when this servant was, had all of these excuses and finally just says, please, I don't want to go. Send someone else. God says, no, you are the person... You're the one who needs to go. Everybody has their own calling from God, their own life's purpose, the way that God wants to speak to the world through you. And if you don't do it, nobody can do it for you. God has an amazing call and purpose for your life. He wants to speak to the world around you. He wants you to be a prophetic voice to the world around you. Through the, the way you talk, the way you talk to people, seasoned with salt and grace and the fruit of the Spirit. The way you represent Jesus. He wants you to be a prophetic voice in the world. And if you don't do it, no one else can do it for you. A couple of things I just want you to see as we're getting ready to close. First, when you walk in faith, when you do things God's way, God does what he says that he would do. Look at verses 29 and 30. Says Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before them, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. That is, they believed him. When Moses walked in faith, he found out that God is faithful. Every word that God had spoken to him came true. You know, we don't have time to go through the next four books of the Bible today <coughs> to show that. But taking a bird's eye view of it, we see that everything God promised happened. God sent the plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He brought them out to worship. He made them his own people. He provided for them. God brought them into the promised land and uh, gave them this land that is flowing with milk and honey. Every word of God came true. When you trust God, every word that he's promised in his word is going to come true when you walk in faith and trust. Which brings us to the next thing I want to grasp onto this morning. Moses' life, his 
ultimate faith points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, because think of this. The whole point of the law that Moses wrote, the five books of the, of, of the Pentateuch, the whole point of it is to say to all humanity that God is holy and you are not. And you need a savior. You need a mediator. And the same Moses said that God is going to one day send to you a, a, a prophet from among you like me and you must listen to him. And he was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that Moses did and accomplishes points us to our need for the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't save ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. In ourselves, we can't be good enough to stand before a holy God. But God sends his Redeemer, his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, the Bible says, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. And it's by faith in him that we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. By faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Moses points us to Jesus. And then lastly, Moses' life says to us, once you've come to Jesus, once you receive him as Savior and Redeemer, then be a hero of the faith. Walk by faith in the Lord Jesus. Trust him. Live for him. Live for his purposes. Believe God's work and purposes in your life. Be a person of faith. Be a hero of the faith. Would you all please bow in prayer with me as we're getting ready to close? And just like last week, I have two simple questions for you. Same as last week. I believe the Holy Spirit is still working in this way. First, how many of you would say to me with uplifted hands, say, Pastor Paul, I'm a believer, but if I'm honest, you know, I've been doing an awful lot of writing my own story. I haven't really been organizing my life around God's purposes, and I've just been writing my own story. You know, uh, um, and maybe it's because something that happened or some failure in the past or simply because, you know, you've been focused on your own thing. And you've been doing a lot of writing, but this morning you want to say, you know what, Pastor Paul, it's time for me to let God do the writing. And I'm not going to call you all, but you say, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's me. Remember me in prayer. Amen. Thank you for all of those hands. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for those hands. So you're saying, God, I want to let you do the writing in my life. All right, lastly, let me ask you this. Are there any of you who would say, who are here and say, you know, Pastor Paul, if I'm honest, you know, I haven't really been walking with Jesus at all. You know, I've been living, haven't been living for Jesus. I've been living kind of for myself, ignoring Jesus, you know. You know, maybe, and I'm not saying you're a bad or evil person, you know, uh, compared to anybody else. But you say, you know what, I haven't been living for Jesus. And this morning I realized that I, I can't save myself. If I stand before that holy God by myself, I, I can't save myself. And maybe for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to him from being away from him for a long time, but you'd say, you know what, um, I need Jesus in my life. I, I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead. You'd raise your hand and say, yeah, Pastor Paul, remember me in prayer. That's me. Thank you for that hand. Is there anyone else? Say, yeah, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give him the pen and, and put my faith and trust in him, and I want him to be my savior. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Amen. Would you all stand with me now? And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to lead the congregation in prayer and have you pray after me. 
And as you pray these things, it's not a magic prayer or anything like that, but as you pray in faith, God's going to do exactly what you ask him to do because he's an amazing, awesome, faithful God. We're going to pray a prayer of, of, of repentance and, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so would you all pray this after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today a sinner. I confess I can't save myself. I can't redeem myself. I can't stand before a holy God. But I believe that Jesus died for me, the just for the unjust, to bring me to God. And I believe that he rose again from the dead. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Live in my life. Teach me more and more about you and about your ways. Help me to live for you. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen.